Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You know, there are a lot of what I would call powerful combinations in this world, things that we add together and, and they're better together. Let me give you a couple of examples. Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter's great, jelly's great, but when you put them together, awesome, right? Okay, Harley and Davidson, right? Harley and Davidson, great combination. Simon and Garfunkel. That's really for the older crowd. I just want to make sure that you guys always feel apart, right? Batman and Robin, Abbott and Costello, and Mentos and Coke. Now, that's the younger crowd there. So for those that haven't seen it, if you take a two-liter bottle of Coke and you put Mentos in it, it will just shoot out 20 feet high. It's the funniest thing, craziest thing ever. But you combine those two good things together, and then there's something powerful that happens as a result of the combination. So those are some combinations that are powerful, that things that are better together. But today I want to show you the most amazing and powerful combination of them all. And it's found in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. And I'm just going to kind of tell you about Acts chapter 3. We'll get in and begin reading in chapter 4. But in Acts chapter 3, we have the story about a man who was lame. Imagine if you can, if you can somehow try to put yourself in his position. What would it be like for every day of your life to have no use of your legs? You know, your perspective of the world would be different because you look up at everything, right? And there would be a few places maybe around your house that you could that you could drag yourself around to, but you would be dependent upon others to take you places. And especially in the case here in the scripture, you would be, as this man was, a beggar. And so every day he had to rely on some people who would take him and they would set him outside the gate of the temple where he would beg every day because he couldn't work. And so one day when he is outside the temple at the gate begging, Peter and John approach this man and they, to make a long story short, in the name of Jesus, they tell him, get up and walk. And all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he feels something different in his legs, something he's never felt before. It's what we know as strength, and he feels strength coming to his legs and he has heard them say, get up and walk. Now, as he has been on the ground the whole time and now he stands up, what do you think his reaction is? Do, do you think it's like, thanks dudes. And he's out? No. I, I'm sure there were a lot of things that he did. But you know, the first, I think he's probably, you know, he's like testing it out, Right? And then he's, he's jumping, and the Bible says that he begins to jump and shout and praise the Lord. And I think this is kind of awesome, too. Dance. How does he know how to dance? Right? I mean, I kind of do envision it like, you know, I probably looked at my first junior high dance. Probably not that great. But you know what? In that case, he didn't really care. He wasn't dancing for anybody except he was dancing 
for Jesus because it was in the name of Jesus that he had been healed. And if you can imagine also, this commotion draws a crowd. People that are coming to the temple and people that are coming out of the temple, they, they wonder, they, they hear this shouting and see this man jumping up and down. They begin to say, hey, isn't that the, isn't that the guy that, that was always begging outside the gate? But now he's jumping up and down and walking and shouting praises to the Lord. Well, Peter does what any good preacher would do. As the crowd gathers, he begins to preach, right? So he has church right then, and he begins to preach to the crowd about Jesus and repentance. And so in Acts chapter 4, look with me at verse 1. The Bible says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, this is the crowd that has gathered, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. So Peter and John, they're preaching about Jesus, and they are confronted, and they are then uh, taken and put in jail overnight. And the next morning, they're going to be brought before the religious leaders who would judge their case. Verse 7 So they brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them... So I just want to stop there before I read on. So when they asked Peter how he did this and whose name it was that he healed this man, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what happens next? He unloads on them. He gives them both barrels. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers... And elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So so he says to them, hey, you remember this name, Jesus? The guy that you killed not long, you remember him? Yeah, he rose from the dead so that people can be saved from their sins. And this man that was healed in Jesus' name, it's also in that name whereby... People can be saved. And in that name only, there's no other way to be saved. But it's these people's response. As Peter's preaching to them strongly and powerfully, it's these people's response to Peter and John that I really want you to see this morning. Because there's something fantastic hidden in the very next verse. Verse 13. Look with me. It says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter's answer to them was so powerful and bold that it caught this council off guard. His passion and his boldness amazed them mainly because of what their preconceived notion of him was to begin with. How they viewed Peter and John. You see, Peter and John, they're just fishermen. They're just, they're, they're, they're common guys. We would say that they're, they're blue-collar 
guys, if, if you would. They weren't scribes. They weren't rabbis. They weren't Pharisees. They weren't Levites. They're just regular guys. And, and look at what Peter and John are called in this verse. Right in the middle it says that they were ordinary men with no special training. We understand exactly what that means. We, we kind of get the picture. Okay, these are just common guys, right? But there's something super, super cool that we can get when we understand what they're actually saying. Because in, in the Greek language that our New Testament was written in, that three-word phrase, no special training, is one single Greek word. And it's the Greek word that's spelled like this, I-D-I-O-T-E-S, pronounced idiotes. Do you want to guess what it is that they were calling them? If, if I were to paraphrase what they said or how they were describing Peter and John, it would be this way. These guys are just ordinary idiots. As we talked about a few minutes ago, there's some incredible combinations in this world, but the most incredible combination of all is Jesus and ordinary idiots. And here's why. Amazing things can happen when you combine Jesus and a few willing, ordinary idiots. Now, I'm sure that that there are some people here today, and you know what? You have got your act together. You know, you've got the world at your fingertips. You look good. You dress nice. You're healthy. You're successful. You've got a great career. You live in a good neighborhood. You've got money. Let's face it. As you know, it's a phrase that's not used so much anymore. But but you're all that and a bag of chips, as they used to say. And you know what? If you're all that, guess what? God can still use you. And you're like, well, wait, wait a minute. You mean if, if I'm all that? What do you mean by God can still use me? Well, well, God can use people who are all that. But God specializes in using common. Ordinary idiots. You see, an idiot that's filled with Jesus can get things done. We often look for the qualifications and the achievements, and we overlook people that don't have the impressive resume. But God's on the lookout for a few idiots filled with faith. And my hope today, the purpose of this message and this passage of Scripture, is that today we will all be challenged to be faith-filled Idiots, that you won't see the term idiot as a negative, but you will see it as a virtue. So today I'm going to share with you four characteristics of an idiot filled with Jesus. The first is this, they obey irrationally. Someone that's an idiot that's filled with Jesus, they obey irrationally. So you've seen kind of what's happened here. They've healed this man, they've been put in jail, now they're told, why did you do this? And, and he, he tells them why. You can kind of tell there's some tension in the air. Look at verse 18. So they called the apostles, Peter and John, back in, and they commanded them. Here's what they said. Don't you ever do this again. Don't you ever again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Then verse 21 says that the council threatened them further, but ultimately had to let them go. So here you have Peter and John, they're being threatened. They're being told, if you speak publicly about Jesus, there's going to be trouble for you. 
And they'd already been in jail. This is no idle threat. This is a real threat. There's real pressure here. And I think that there are some people today, and and then as well, I feel like that if this would have happened to them, they would have decided, well, I guess it's God's will that I practice my faith privately. Honestly, that's what all that Christians do. But let's read on to see what Peter and John's response was. Look at verse 19. Uh, Peter and John replied, do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. And so despite the threats, Peter and John tell the crowd, we're not going to stop telling the truth. We've got to obey God. And you know what? It's irrational to obey God in the midst of threats. Only an idiot does that. You know, we're all going to have opportunities to live out our faith and share what we know to be true in the face of opposition. That opposition may come in the form of your workplace or your school or your job or your university. At some point, it may even happen within your government. Maybe it's family or friends or neighbors. And you're going to face pressure and maybe even threats to keep the truth about Jesus to yourself. And you'd be an idiot to speak up in the face of that opposition. And if you do that, I want you to know, you're the kind of person that God wants to use. You know, some of the people that we respect the most were idiots. Noah. Think that one through for a little bit. God comes to Noah and he says, hey, Noah, it's going to rain. Do you know what? It had not rained before. God says, water's going to fall from the sky. That had not happened before. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to build this massive boat. Well, what port, Lord? I don't want you to build it at a port. I want you to build it out in the middle of a field somewhere. And you know what Noah did? He built a giant boat out in the middle of a field. You know what he is? He's an idiot. And that's what everybody said about him too, right? Joshua. God said, Joshua, I'm going to give you victory over the city of Jericho. Joshua says, all right, Lord, what weapons are we going to use? He said, oh, no, no, I don't want you to use a weapon. I just want you to, I tell you what, just walk around the city seven times. Walk around the outer walls of the city seven times and see what happens. You know what Joshua did? He got the entire nation of Israel that was traveling with him to follow along and walk Outside the city seven times. And you know what happened in both cases? First of all, I bet you there were a whole lot of people, Hebrew people following Joshua that thought, man, he's an idiot. What are we doing? But I guarantee you the people in Jericho looking down the walls were like, what a bunch of idiots out there. Until all of a sudden, the wall started crumbling. Right? See, An idiot's willing to obey even when it doesn't make any sense. And if we will just obey God, even when it seems irrational, amazing things will happen. The second characteristic is they pray outrageously. Not only do they obey irrationally, but they pray outrageously. So Peter and John, they are released 
And they gather with other believers, and verse 31 says that they have a prayer meeting. So they're gathering for a time of prayer. Look at verse 29. And here's, here's part of their prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, I don't, I don't know how you, how you deal with that prayer, but that's outrageous what they just asked. They're faced with opposition. Instead of running, hiding, or compromising, these idiots prayed, God, you give us the power to do everything they just threatened us not to do. Oh, and why don't you go ahead when we speak your name, do miraculous things as well. One reason that God specializes in using idiots is because when idiots pray, they don't limit God. Idiots pray outrageously because they believe that that when Ephesians 3.20 says that God can do infinitely more than we ask or imagine, they believe God can do that. Idiots believe that nothing is impossible with God and they pray that way. We've all heard the thing that, you know, Satan is not... Doesn't, he's not too concerned when we go to church or when we do this or this, this, but he trembles when we pray. I, I, don't, I don't think that, you know, some of our prayers scare Satan at all. But I'm going to tell you one thing. When an idiot prays, that's when Satan trembles. Because an idiot doesn't limit God. It's outrageous prayer that Satan is afraid of because Satan knows that God is it chooses to answer in the measure or greater than what we ask. And when we pray outrageously, God answers outrageously. They obey irrationally. They pray outrageously. The third characteristic of an idiot is they share Jesus fearlessly. Verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the word of God with boldness. So they're threatened. They're put in jail. They're threatened and told, don't do this again. And they said, oh, we gotta, we've got to obey God. They obeyed irrationally. And then they prayed outrageously, which then led to their being filled with the Spirit. And the next obvious step was they shared Jesus fearlessly. Only an idiot would boldly live out their faith and speak the truth about Jesus after being threatened and warned not to. Again, some of our heroes. Daniel. Daniel is told, you can't keep doing this publicly like this. And if you do... You're going to be fed to the lions. And Daniel could have been one of those that said, well, I guess it's God's will for me to practice my faith in private. What does Daniel do? He says, I, I'm not worried about what y'all think or say or how you tell me what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to obey God. And Daniel went right on about worshiping God the way he always had. And he was thrown in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Threatened with the fiery furnace. And yet they continued to worship God. What was wrong with those people? Why weren't they afraid? It's because they were idiots. 
See, here's the thing. When you're an idiot filled with Jesus, you don't know that you're supposed to be afraid. You become fearless because you know that this world is only temporary. The real deal, eternity, is still to come. And as a result, here, you have nothing to lose. You only have something to lose if you think you're all that. I think it's important to remind you this morning, before we get to this fourth characteristic, that Peter and John, although they shared Jesus fearlessly, they're just regular people. They weren't spiritual superheroes. These are two men that came to to where we are in this story, in this place in history. They're two men that came with a past. And honestly, a past of some doubt and spiritual failure. You remember what Peter did, right? When Jesus was in the courtyard about to go to the cross, he denies Peter three times. They're just common Ordinary idiots. But who were filled with Jesus. And who shared Jesus fearlessly. And that then leads me to the fourth characteristic of an idiot, which is this. Idiots give extravagantly. They give extravagantly. We just finished at verse 31, so let's continue on and basically finish out this story. Verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. What these people did in the early church just blows the mind of modern Christians. In the American church. You see the drive to achieve and succeed and gain is so powerful in the American culture. That it often overtakes everything that God has told us about giving. But thank God not every Christian has sold their soul for the accumulation of the dollar. Some of you, you are big givers. Now let me say this. Understand that being a big giver, that's relative. You see, it isn't the amount that someone gives that determines a big giver. It's the amount that someone gives in relation to the amount that they keep. Right? Some of you, you don't have big paychecks. And yet you give beyond reasonable expectations for your income. And that's what the definition of extravagant is. Going beyond reasonable expectations. Others of you, you have a much larger income And even with that, you give way beyond reasonable expectations. And on both ends of the spectrum, do you know what people think about you when you do that? If you're kind of, you're struggling to get by, or maybe you're on a fixed income, and you give sacrificially, you know what people think about you? You're an idiot. And if you're someone that has a big income, and you give large sums for things, you know what people think about you? They think you're an idiot. And you know what? They're right. They're right. You see, idiots believe two things about their wealth and their possessions. And, and I'm not going to go over them, but they're, they're found in that, those verses that we just read. One is that the stuff and the money at their disposal isn't theirs to begin with. It's all God's. 
And the second thing that idiots believe about their wealth and possessions is they believe that they can't outgive God anyways. So they don't struggle to be a, a big giver. And you know what? Both of those things fly in the face of common sense. But that's what idiots do. They do things that don't make sense to anyone except other idiots. It's going to make my wife really uncomfortable. And you're going to think I'm a total idiot when I tell you what I've done. But I hope that you'll understand why I tell you what I'm about to tell you. So, um, a few years back, on my 25th anniversary of serving this church, this church gave me a gift. They gave me a... um, 1972 Mustang Convertible, which has been a ton of fun, non-spiritual at all. Just fun, as you can imagine. It was such an incredible gift, and, you know, it's one of those things that you don't have words to ever express. Gratitude for for a gift like that. So... Since you were going to find out sooner or later, I want you to know I gave it away. I know. What an idiot. Why why would I do something like that? Well, we were talking in our staff meeting last year about some some ways to help us reach more teenagers through our, our ministry at the Attic. And we started talking about, you know, something that we had seen done before was, and we started talking about this and about, a, you know, like maybe kind of deck out a car kind of cool or whatever. And you know, you know how it goes. I mean, if, you've ever, if God's ever done this to you, God was like, you have exactly what we're talking about here. And I told the guys on staff, I said, look, I'll, I'll give up my car. I'll, I'll donate my car back to the church and we will deck it out and we'll... Whatever we have to do, and it'll be the attic car, and it'll be taken to, to high schools and youth events and stuff like that. And I don't mind telling you, when you're in any classic car that's especially a convertible, people want to come up and talk to you about it. And I can't tell you how many times teenagers have come up and want to look at my car. And I just felt like, you know what? It was never mine to begin with, right? It's God's. God owns everything that I have. And it was a generous gift from the church. What better place for me to be able to, to give back than in a way that it would be able to be used to help us reach more teenagers who in this culture now have so many hurdles to get over to find Jesus. And we want to try to remove as many of them as we can. I believe that the best gift in this whole deal wasn't the gift of the church giving me a car. It's a gift of the fact that I'm going to get to see God do amazing things with it in the, in the future. What an incredible gift to see teenagers get to come to faith in Jesus Christ and have their eternity changed because of a simple gift. 
But you've got to be an idiot to do that. I wish I could tell you that I'm an idiot in every area because I'm not there yet. I did an idiotic thing. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's irrational. And it's honestly, when the world looks at that, they're going to say that was over the top. Well, you know what? That's when God steps in and does amazing things and miraculous things happen. Powerful things happen. For years, Christians have tried to find the secret sauce, if you will, of the early church. They read in Acts about how powerful the ministry of the early church was, and they're like, how can we, how can we get that back? How could our church today, in, 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 in the year 2019, in Greenville, Texas, or wherever, how could our church recapture that secret sauce that the early church had? I shared with you last week that in chapter 1, there were 120 believers, and then in chapter 2, 3,000 more joined them, and then in chapter 4 of Acts, there's now 5,000 believers. Incredible things are happening and people have written books, hundreds and thousands of books in the, in the Christian bookstores about, about what made the early church so successful and so powerful. And despite all those books, I think I may have stumbled on the real answer this week. See, I think the secret sauce, I think the, the reason that the early church was so powerful is because what we've seen in Acts chapter 4 Today, with the real clue being found in verse 32. So look at verse 32 again. And notice the first word. All. All the believers. See, the reason the early church was so powerful is because they were all bunch of ordinary idiots who were willing to obey irrationally and pray outrageously and share Jesus fearlessly and give extravagantly. I believe that every person, every Christian, hopes that their life will mean something when they're gone, that they will have done something that will have impacted the world in some way. We all want to know that our life had purpose and meaning. So I close with this. When Peter and John were before the council of religious leaders, the council said this about them in verse 16. It says, what should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. See, idiots filled with Jesus impact the world in a way that cannot be denied. You want to know that your life mattered for eternity? Do you want to impact the world in a way that cannot be denied? Then be willing to be an idiot filled with Jesus. If you've got your act together and you're all that, God can still use you. But God specializes in using ordinary idiots. And that's our challenge from God's word today. I want to challenge you today to be an idiot. To look at that not as a negative but as a virtue to obey irrationally, pray outrageously, share Jesus fearlessly, and give extravagantly, and then watch God do amazing, miraculous, powerful things. And let's impact the world in a way that cannot be denied. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?
you know what what we're being challenged with today is countercultural. It goes against everything that we know most normal people in the world think. And if we were to choose to take this walk in faith and say, God, help me to be that kind of an idiot. God, help me to be filled with Jesus. Help me to be filled with faith. God, help me to be used by you to see miraculous and powerful and amazing things happen. I don't know how much longer we will be here on this earth, whether through death or through Christ's return. But I know we have today. I want to challenge you that every day when you get up, to say, God, help me to be for you what the world's going to call an idiot. I'm just a common man, a common woman, a common teenage guy, girl, whatever. But I want to be someone that they say, that person's been with Jesus. And I want you to use my life. Would that be your prayer? It goes against everything in our American culture. But it's normal. What I just shared with you is normal for someone that's filled with the Spirit. Let's be that kind of man and woman. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask, Heavenly Father, that despite the fact that we would be swimming upstream in culture today, even among many Christians. God, help us to do and follow the example of Peter and John, to close our ears to the world and open our ears to the voice of God. Lord, you specialize in using common men and women but we've got to be willing to be faith-filled idiots that have been with Jesus. So God, help us to be that for your honor and for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.